0: Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcasts.
1: G'day, and welcome to an extra Commonwealthy edition of Thrash and Treasure, the torture chamber musical comedy podcast where Mrs. Brill secretly goes for a booty call with Stacey Jacks. And speaking of a boot, I'm joined as unusual by my curmudgeonly cubic Canadian coffee date, who thankfully doesn't just come from away, he stays there. It's musical theatre radio head honcho, Mr. John Paul Jovanoff. How's it going? Hey, sadly, that's the
2: nicest thing somebody said to me in like the last six months.
1: So thank you. Certainly the nicest thing I've
2: said to you. <laughs> it, it actually, that is very true. Good point. <laughs> No,
1: that's not true. We're very supportive of each other, even though we are arch-nemesises.
2: We are, Mike. <laughs> you know, we all need our foil of some kind. James Bond has Blofeld. Um, Garfield has Odie. Um, Lasagna has Garfield. You know, whatever that means. Guess what? That's you, JP. What?
3: What? what? <laughs> I had to get through the
2: script.
1: <laughs> we have another legendary West End diva in the lion's den tonight. But luckily, lion taming runs in her family because we're about to hear the main pride of Kaleon roar. So let's pounce from lions (laughs) to whales from whence this wonderful warbler whisked Charlie girl and the boyfriend away to Greece to make her West End debut (sighs) before escaping out of the rain and into the woods. Well, Torchwood under Milkwood, to be specific, and then back home to Greece for Mamma Mia again in London. And if you're confused, try putting it together because it might be the magical spell we're under from today's chosen witchicles, or maybe a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Or perhaps it was that most devilish of witches, Mary Poppins, as whom this shining (laughs) star was seen soaring across the US and UK, serving myths and hymns to the banks brats. So please help me scoop up a huge Aussie g'day, along with a spoonful of sugar before slash after Henry ate the mind of a tyrant mm to only the bravest among us, because on her own, her dreams came true when playing the once-in-a-lifetime role of Ensemble Factory Worker, working EPO 9-5 to in the film version of Les Miserables. So kiss me, Kate, and chuck the five kids and it in the backseat with JP so we can go cruising across the City of Angels to Camelot in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang as we drive this dreamy diva into our practically perfect torture chamber where it's curtains up with a spotlight on an incredible career that leaves us all crazy for you. So throw your umbrellas in the air for the superlatively famous mentalistic exponentially hypnotic queen Caroline Sheen yay welcome to the torture chamber oh I can see movement
3: yay I haven't frozen up yeah that's amazing that's amazing thank you so much that was brilliant
1: glad you enjoyed it
3: I loved it I've heard Diane's uh, podcast video and I remember her saying that there were things you mentioned that she'd forgotten she even did and that was exactly the same for me I was like oh yeah I remember that that's what happens when you get old isn't it I think
1: now your introduction was actually very hard to write because Spotlight, in all their wisdom, has decided to stop people from clicking on links and accessing the profiles unless you sign up and pay for it.
3: Oh, there's a there's a lot of talk about Spotlight at the minute and Ooh. how difficult it is to access without having to pay through the nose for it. So um yeah, and I'm I'm not surprised and and I'm sorry about that.
1: <laughs> That's fine. Look, I and I had to gather information from different places and try to piece it all together and goodness gracious me.
3: You had my Amdram shows on there as well. Yep. <laughs> like Charlie Girl and the boyfriend and everything. That was amazing.
1: And is it true that your grandmother was a lion tamer? Well,
3: not not my grandmother, no, but my grandfather's grandmother, so my great-great-grandmother. Great, great. Was a lion tamer and and wow. apparently an elephant tamer as well. And I actually have a photograph on my phone. I've switched it off now. Yeah, there's um a picture of her daughter with at the age of about two, she's not older than two in this picture, and she has baby lion cubs sat on her lap. It's a like beautiful sepia toned Victorian photograph. And and oh, wow. there's this beautiful child in the middle of the picture, surrounded by the cutest little lion cubs you've ever seen. So yeah. I sort of grew up with it thinking it was a bit of a myth. And then when you see photographic evidence, you're like, Oh, okay, that's 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 actual fact. So yeah, she went to America actually. She she toured to America and she was working with what had originally been Barnum's show, the sort of greatest show on earth company. He'd passed away by then, but this was sort of in the 1880s, 1890s, I think. Um, maybe the 1890s, yeah. So yeah, we have all, we've like, I really want to research more about her actually. I want to find out loads more because there's sort of treasure trove of stuff about kind of circus performers and all that stuff. And I would, lo- I would love to kind of find out, you know, what, what was her stage name? Nobody seems to know because obviously we're like, generations down now but um I'd love to know if it was like a lovely stagey stage name or if it was something kind of they used to use quite exotic names didn't they in the circus just people think that they're far more exciting than they actually were because her real name was Mary Ann Blower (laughs) so (laughs) I don't think she used that that entice people to come and see her lion show so (laughs) so I I just really want to find out one day
1: (laughs) yeah Wow. I, I, look, I did my research, but I couldn't dig that deep, unfortunately. But back in those days, women weren't allowed to do all that many jobs.
3: No, exactly. And actually, her her husband, yeah, her husband was her manager. Um, and I think he did something with the show as well. Um,
1: it, okay. No? okay, Okay. I'm back now. I. I ha- it's it's saying your connection is unstable. I know it's been unstable for. And we got Joe DiPietro in the morning.
3: Oh my god! Who has you know
1: only two Tony Awards, and
3: he's working
1: <laughs> with La Jolla Playhouse at the moment with Matthew Broderick. Oh wow! And they said, "Would you like to interview Joe?" Yes, please. <laughs> yes please this has to go well this has to go well it's at 8 a.m where everyone's going to be waking up on their freaking computers and oh i'm shitting myself can
3: you like go out of state or something (laughs) can you move
2: (laughs) (laughs) is it all of australia
1: yeah, <laughs> we have spiders. I wish I could go to Antarctica where they don't have spiders, but they also don't have internet there, apparently. So I
3: don't know. Or any heat. So you know. or, or any heat, that's <laughs> it.
1: But I, I want to actually know, if I want someone from Antarctica to listen to this show to see if it comes up. On our analytics because it's not on the map. That'd be cool. Yeah, I asked Transistor wow. about it and they said, "Well, we've never had any listeners on any any show on their you know their service. Like they've all got hundreds of shows." Yeah. No one from Antarctica. Anyway, this is way off topic. I'm so sorry.
3: There there must be some people working out there that are like, you know, doing stuff with ice and weather and climate that have to listen to a podcast about musical theatre every now and then, surely. Otherwise, what are they doing with their lives?
1: I know. That's it. But I did tweet a few people, but they ignored me. How rude. Anyways, probably it was weird. Like, hi, can you listen to my show? Because I want to know if you exist. Basically, that's what I was saying. Anyways, I know I've frozen up. (laughs) Did, have you uh, gone
3: aaron
1: yeah i oh no i'm back it's on one bar oh no okay well jp for, for, can yeah. you No, we <laughs> He's back. He's back. <laughs> jp can you take the reins please
2: because i'm drowning i'm back i'm back <laughs> <laughs> so caroline i got a i got a question for you You've been on tour. You've done things like that. And you know about the, the rock star riders out there. My question to you is, if you could put together a rock star rider, if if you haven't already, I don't know, um, what would be the craziest thing you put into it?
3: Um, Chocolate. I was back. I'm just describing my rider, Aaron. So I know I didn't need one on this, but if if you could remember this in future, I'd like lots of chocolate, um, room for my dog, room for my kid, a jacuzzi, <laughs> is, is that do you think that's doable
2: well I don't know because you got to be specific about your chocolate because what if you end up with American chocolate instead of like oh. Cadbury's in Britain or do you are you good with anything absolutely.
3: no absolutely not oh, no, it, okay. has it has to be Cadbury's
2: has to be Cadbury
3: At uh, the year that I spent in America I ate the least <laughs> amount of chocolate I ever have in my life
1: <laughs> oh good. yeah tell me about it like and that they'll like, get things imported, but it's made by someone else, so it's basically just rebranded. Like they get Tim Tams. Ah,
3: oh, Tim Tams.
1: Oh, how good are Tim Tams? I'm so glad you know them. Um, maybe <laughs> if we all try turning off our cameras, that might help.
3: Okay. <laughs> like, Let's try.
1: Possibly. I'm. Just, again, I'm so sorry. At least I'll know if anything in my introduction offended anyone. Oh, more so
3: you, Caroline. Uh. See, look at my 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 like saver screen is so boring and you guys have like cool musical theater stuff on yours and mine just says <laughs> my name how do i do this i need to work out how to do this
1: that's because we are basically prostituting ourselves to <laughs> anyone who comes through our zoom <laughs> basically it's selling our shows. One hundred percent. I
3: just have my headshot my agent's phone number on there, shouldn't I really? That's what I should do.
1: That's it. Yeah. <laughs> or get yourself a podcast, Caroline. Oh. All the kids are doing it.
3: Watch this space. Watch this space.
1: Awesome. Well you know that I have a network. Great. And I have experience working with West End performers. <laughs> yes.
3: Please, I will I will I will hit you up for some help. Thanks, Aaron. <laughs>
1: awesome to join our network. Anyways, you picked both albums this week so I'm guessing you're secretly a headbanger emo kid.
3: Well I'm not at all.
1: Oh you're not okay.
3: The secret weapon I have is that one of my dear dear friends from Wales is an absolute musical theatre geek and she comes and and sees every show she goes to Broadway and see she sorry are you hearing that ping because I'm getting messaged and I can't work out how to stop it. She goes to Broadway and has like a week where she sees all the newest shows so a big, huge musical theatre geek at the same time as being the editor of, of like a massively successful rock magazine. In her bedroom when she was a kid, she had loads of rock bands and and sort of soft metal-ish type bands. Her favourite band growing up was Heart. And now she like has all their phone numbers. She's like, she is living her dream. And when everyone used to have iPods, she had an iPod full of musical theatre that she hid from most of her coworkers. I think. And then another iPod <laughs> (laughs) full of like all the cool rock stuff so I messaged her and I went how can I like sound like I know anything about sort of heavy metal thrash anything and so she sent me a couple of albums to listen to and she said maybe you suggest some of these so so that's what I did. And um, because I'm literally, I think chess and Jesus Christ Superstar are probably about as rocky as I get. <laughs> I think it scares a lot of people going, oh, my God, I've got to talk about heavy metal. <laughs> Whereas <laughs> actually, it's just if, as long as you're honest about it and you don't go, I, I, I know everything, it's fine to sort of come on and go, I don't know enough. I would like to know some more. And I will. I'll investigate my heavy metal roots a bit more, I think. Oh, Wonderful.
1: Well, the, the guest of the episode I just dropped, Dominic Burgess, who is in American Horror Story sleeping with Kim Kardashian at the moment.
4: Whoa. Goodness
1: gracious me. I know, right? Like, what? what, what? How do you get that gig from Stoke on Trent to Kim Kardashian's bed? Anyways, <laughs> he comes onto the show going, I have to be honest, I'm so anxious being here. I was so anxious listening to heavy metal. I'm like, well, I guess I've done my job then. Anyways, because it's a torture chamber. So it is. Anyways, and no, it's that cool thing day. I,
3: you know, the first thing I did, I rang Diane and went, Help me with this. What's it like? And she said, Oh my God, no, you're going to love it. You have to do it. So, and she's right. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Everyone come on this podcast.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get the album title wrong. I know uh, you picked a perfect circles. Mur de noms or is it nom de mer?
3: mer? de noms. I think it's something about a sea of names or names of the sea. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But nowadays, nom noms are food. So to me, it's fish food.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> JP, you reviewed it. Yes, I did. I took a listen to the, to the album. Yes. Well, let me give you my review of uh, the album. All right. Ready? Yeah. OK, that's good. <laughs> All right. So when I was told I was going to review the metal album Mère de Nom, which, by the way, translates to Sea of Names, it's French, by the group A Perfect Circle, I was thinking, is this going to be you know, thrash metal or black metal, death metal, symphonic metal, which I think is awesome. I actually love symphonic metal. But when I started listening, I started thinking, is this even metal? No. Wikipedia, the bastion of all that is true and factual, puts it in the genre of alt rock hard rock, art rock, and alt metal. And as the game goes, rock beats metal, especially when there are three rocks to one metal. (laughs) You've got songs like Three Libra and The Hollow, which has that alt rock, sound gardening, nirvana jam sound to it. And maybe that's why they were two of the biggest hits off this album. But then you've got the other hit, Judith, which totally has that sound that I more associate with metal. Uh, Then you've got something like Renholder which is like nothing else on the album you know it's a short instrumental track with a few vocal "Ah," moments in it totally different than everything else and uh, for whatever reason I couldn't get the last song on the album thinking of you to play on Spotify I don't know why so I looked it up on YouTube and um, the video is something let's just say different let's say. Uh, Before I continue, all of you with sensitive constitutions, you might want to cover your ears for about the next 10 seconds. Are they covered? Good. Uh, The song is about masturbating to the thought of anal sex. Yeah, right. Now, let's be honest. None of you covered your ears. You heard everything I said. But now that I think about it, uh, they have a pattern with their song subject matter. The opening song, The Hollow, seems to deal with the idea that sexual desire tends to consume and devour us. And only when we can overcome this sexual desire can we truly be enlightened and permanently fill this hollow, quoted the Sound Facts Register trademark. Look, I've read online this is a good album, you know, for those who like this sort of sound. Uh, for me, it was what it was, you know? It was what it was. It had songs I liked better than others, like Three Libra. But to give context, I'm more of a George Michael guy. Now, if A Perfect Circle covered I Want Your Sex, I might have be more apt to take a listen. And then from the type of subject matter they sing about, I could totally see them covering this song. My rating for Merdanom by A Perfect Circle MA15 plus in Australia, 15 in the UK, and 14A in Canada, as it contains elements of sex. And there's my review of the What's your stars out of five, you dork? (laughs) Nobody told me five! Oh my (laughs) goodness gracious me. I get 15 stars out of five, but with an element of sex rating.
1: 15? Love how you give a disclaimer about talking about dicks on this show. (laughs) In this curses way,
2: hey, I don't know how sensitive your listeners' ears are. they you know, you people in uh, Antarctica don't like smut, so that's maybe why they're not listening.
3: You know, the song that you said was about anal sex. <laughs> yeah, this is what I wrote down without knowing the context of it. I don't know how I missed that. Maybe I wasn't listening to the lyrics properly. I thought I was, but then I actually put "could be fun to use." For an acting through solace, <laughs> I'm thinking oh, that funny. maybe should be not a thing. But yeah, because I, I, I clearly missed that in my in my innocence and naivety.
2: <laughs> you know what? So did I. I saw that that's what he said in an interview, and yeah, I would oh, wow. not have got it as well. So I'm out of the gutter with you. <laughs> so No worries.
3: There was there was a moment in that song where they sing a really long sustained sweet something. And it was quite enjoyable for me to hear a sweet that wasn't followed by a Caroline. So I quite enjoyed that. That was like my I think I enjoyed that song the most just for that reason.
2: Watch the video, it'll totally confuse you even more. So
3: <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna do yeah. that straight off this podcast.
1: Yes. I- I'm trying to find my pen so I could write it down to watch the video, but I, I've i thrown my pen somewhere in my frustration of the internet. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, hang on, no, it's under my leg. There it is. I should have said something like four minutes ago. I might have found it four <laughs> fucking minutes ago. Anyways, <laughs> Renholder, I felt, was Lord of the Ringsy. It
3: was, wasn't it? Rose was quite Lord of the Ringsy. y like, me medieval esque I felt like it could be on the soundtrack to some kind of modern retelling of a Shakespeare play. It had that kind of cool but classical feel to it. Yeah I didn't mind Rose. Yeah mm-hmm. I then I found all the songs like really different. There, there didn't seem to be any kind of, yeah, kind of true theme apart from like the names but I'm such a fan of musicals that I kind of really like to hear lyrics and I like to know what the story is so when I can't hear what the people are singing about I get bit frustrated and I, I tend to sort of switch off a little bit so that's always my issue with kind of rock and metal stuff is that it's all sort of sort of screamy and shouty but I do love the sort of beats and the rhythms and the sort of the emotive sort of feeling of the music I just wish I could say could you do better diction please <laughs> since I don't understand what
4: you am thinking about
1: <laughs> Well, one of my hosts and producers of this show, Matt, he would be living for that comment because he <laughs> always goes on about the diction because it's just his musical theatre training. Um, <laughs> this is the sort of music I could have heard at the Bronze. I think.
3: What's, what's the Bronze? <gasps>
1: I'm gonna faint. In... Yeah, I don't know what that is either. Oh, my God. Oh, what? what oh, my listeners at home, I'm dying. What have we, what have we missed? From Buffy. It was... Oh,
3: from Buffy, okay.
1: Uh... It was the club that they went wow. to. okay.
3: That's interesting because the first thing I wrote about The Hollow was that everything about it felt quite Dawson's creaky. It does have <laughs> that kind of um, 2000s sort of 90s teen angst beats to it and feel to it doesn't it like like,
2: like buffy okay my question is, are you a pacey or a, a Pace? dawson pacey I'm,
3: I'm a dawson girl okay. i love dawson
2: <laughs> yeah. pacey all the way just have
1: a look have a look at what i use to write <laughs> notes in
3: oh my gosh that's awesome <laughs> it's
1: a dawson's Creek notebook and it's like a good one do
3: you follow james van der beek on instagram
1: No but I would love him to come on the show but anytime any of my guests have worked with Joshua Jackson in their introduction I'll say like and they were in Fringe Joshua Jackson call me (laughs) because he is so pretty (laughs) anyway sorry Pacey
3: (laughs) I started following Dawson just like a couple of months ago and he's he's really sweet on Instagram he just is really natural and is talk, talks about his family and he's got, he's like really like Zen and lovely and just really normal. He, he comes across as far less stressy than, than Dawson was. Uh, he, you know, he could be a bit whiny as Dawson. But,
1: um, yeah, yeah, I know. I, oh my God. I say that all the time. And I was a kid making films when it was on. Oh right? wow. It, yeah. It, like, It started in, what, 98, and I was 13, and I was already writing my first screenplay, which I filmed a couple of years later. So every asshole would say, oh, you're just like Dawson, are you? (laughs) No. And I just wanted to – I actually, I didn't want to be a Pacey. I wanted to be a Jen because she was the awesome one. She was the bad girl.
3: She (laughs) really was. She was incredible, wasn't she? Whatever happened to her?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know, right? God, they fade into obscurity Goodness gracious me <laughs> Speaking of obscure, I know this, this album, I actually did quite like it But it was, I agree in that it wasn't metal So I've sort of, I didn't know a perfect circle I've gone in expecting something really like, rah, 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 rah. If not rah, 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 Like that, like real death <laughs> metal So I like I had no idea And what I got was very emo Which mm-hmm. I Talk about being a depressive person all the time anyway. So when it's music that's doing that to me, I I can struggle with it sometimes. This I didn't because there was so much variety across the album, which I really liked. And I loved that they named a song after me, Sleeping Beauty. (laughs) I'd give it a three and a half, I think.
3: I would agree with that. That's That's where I kind of sit. It's the kind of thing that I wouldn't if it came on accidentally on my playlist I'd be like okay I'll listen to this but I don't think I'd go hunting for it to to listen again
1: yeah and that's 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 sort of the the bar we judge a lot of this stuff on because it's a matter of like when you see a musical when you leave that theater do you want to hear those songs again yeah sort of with with all due respect to the book writers you're not really thinking oh I can't wait to hear that bit of dialogue again
3: yeah no I know exactly what you mean
1: yeah it's and that's it's a big component of this is the music good and it gets brought up a lot can we judge the musical on just the album but if we're judging a band on just the album and not their stage presence or their video clips then yes we certainly can I think anyways
3: that's really interesting isn't it because I do find sometimes when I have an album and listen to it before I've seen the show once once I've seen the show i far I've listening to the album far more because now I know what's going on. And everything. So I, I love to be able to contextualize a song and to, to know where it is. Whereas my husband, for example, he can listen to a show that he's never seen before and just love the music and the production of the music. Whereas I kind of need to know what's going on and why they're singing it and where their journey's going and all that. And that's when I get excited about a, a song and, and a musical theatre album. That's when I'll just listen to it forever and ever then after that.
1: I try not to hear a show before I go see it. Yeah. Um, But sometimes I've heard of an album. I heard the whole album and I just couldn't wait to see it, but it just never gets done. Because I'm in a fucking, I'm in Australia. We don't have Broadway or West End. We don't have 20 theaters in our city. We've got like four if we're lucky, or a few more than that.
3: That's why, like, half the people in the West End are from Australia, because they all come over <laughs> here to work and they're all talented. And I'm like, why isn't musical theater more of a thing in Australia? Because the people who come over here, like, I have dear friends like Damian Humbly, Jeremy Seacombe, Alison Jaya just all these incredible performers from Australia. And they have to leave their families and their homes and come over here to, to sort of make their living. It's I feel sorry and sad that they have to do that, but I'm I get to work with them and to see them at work. And it's it's wonderful. I love Australia. I've been out there once. I came out in the summer of... Actually, at the summer that Witches of Eastwick opened. It opened in Melbourne. And um, I came over to see it, not not just for that, but, um, you know, to, to have a holiday as well. Well. And, um, oh, I just loved it so much. I spent a week in Sydney and. Uh, a week in um, Melbourne and we'd been two weeks in New Zealand before that and as soon as we got to Sydney I was just, I have to go and see some, some theatre because we were right in the set so I, took, I saw a play and a musical in Sydney and then we went to Melbourne and saw Witches of Easterwick so I was just like, any theatre you had I would I would lap it up, <laughs> but you could have even more I, wish, I just wish it was closer I was, it's the sort of place I'd love to go to for like a lovely city break for a weekend but <laughs> you know, it takes a weekend to get to you guys, so... <laughs>
1: Can't do it. Don't take this the wrong way, but if we were any closer to America and England, we would have too many British and Americans in Australia. <laughs> so...
3: I understand your point. I
2: do I take your point.
1: And and Canadians. Sorry, JP, you are Canadian. (laughs) I should have That's okay.
2: Should have thrown you under the bus as well. (laughs) We're the forgotten stepchild of the Commonwealth. I know. It's okay.
3: Yeah. But also, did you say English? Because obviously the Welsh don't count, so that's (laughs) fine. That's fine too.
1: Exactly. I didn't say Scottish either, and I didn't say Irish.
3: So we can we can all come as as long as we want.
1: Yeah, that's it. That's it. Uh, anyways, I'm, I'm going to move it on to the ad break and because obviously we've already started talking about the musical. Oh, sorry. Think, yes. <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. It, it's funny. That's the nature of this show, the, the episode we've got coming on with um, Mig ASR from, um, he was in We Will Rock You. and Mig. I had to like literally sit here with my hands on a steering wheel to show the guys, I'm getting this train back on the tracks, guys, because otherwise we're going to keep him for two and a half hours and we cannot do that. <laughs> Anyways, and um, where's my my segue to an ad break? It looks like we've come full circle on this (laughs) album. Perfect. So we're going to go to an ad break. From the producers of Thrash and Treasure and airing exclusively on the Bloop Network, Around the World in 80 Plays, hosted by the adorable Lizzie B and Alfie Parker and starring the gorgeous dolly the dog they'll take you from city to city exploring the rich arts and cultural history of the uk and ireland new episodes air on tuesdays and here is a sneak peek
0: time no sees. Welcome back to the second leg of Around the World AC in AC Plays. I'm Alfie Parker and that's
4: Lizzie B. And
0: we're joined as always by our four-legged friend Dolly the Dog.
4: Woof woof.
0: After a two-month break from brand new episodes we've boarded the bus for Bradford on the eighth stop of the Sister Act UK and Ireland tour.
4: Lots of
0: Bradford love. Lots of Bradford loving. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now moving on to the tour. This week we've been forming in the Alhambra, as I said, and I believe this is... Lizzie's moments to shine to give us an insight are you
4: going to yawn all the way through it this week yeah
0: well yeah last episode I was yawning a lot this week I don't think I'll yawn are you going to interrupt
4: me throughout
0: oh maybe maybe not maybe let's see how it goes if anything really shocks me and I'm like whoa then maybe I'll like exclaim
4: oh I can't wait right so as Alfie said we are at the Bradford Alhambra Theatre and I personally this is one of the nicest theatres in the UK which always makes it worth going to Bradford I'm having a lovely time
0: yeah yeah that's nice but
4: I've had quite a cold experience there before because I've always stayed in hotels like just bog standard hotels as you said walked 30 seconds to work walked home so I haven't gone out or done anything like that but this time I'm having a totally different experience but talking of the theatre basically my point was the theatre is so nice so here's my information taken from Good old
0: Wikipedia. Here we go.
4: The theatre was built in 1913. Oh. And it was built by the architects Chadwick and Watson of Leeds.
0: Not to be mistaken with Sherlock Holmes and Watson. Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. This
4: is going to lead on to another thing which Alfie always takes <laughs> a mick out of me for. Because everyone says Sherlock Holmes, but it's got an L in it. So I think it sh- should be Sherlock Holmes.
0: No, you think it should be Sherlock Holmes.
4: That's not what I say. That is what you say? I say Holmes.
0: No, you say Holmes. (laughs) Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. (laughs) Lizzie says Sherlock Holmes. I
4: don't. I say Sherlock Holmes. (laughs) I hate you so much. Oh, dear. Yeah.
0: Well, there you are.
4: Word in. I actually say it right. Uh, Lizzie's totally
0: right. But it's a silent... See, it's a silent run it's not Holmes. It's Holmes. It's a silent L, isn't
4: it? No. It's not silent.
0: might be Sherlock Holmes.
4: Moving swiftly on. Uh, it was opened by theatre impresario Francis Laidler. And before you ask...
0: Good <laughs> Sorry, carry on. I
4: actually don't even know why I've No, I'm Are you taking you. any of this in? Who was it opened by? Francis Laidler. Right. Before you've asked, I haven't researched him any further, but if anyone would like to... <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, who is he then? A Theatre
4: Impresario.
0: They said that about me. Theatre Extraordinaire.
4: Theatre extra- Shout out to Jeremy Second. <laughs> my yeah. my OG Theatre Extraordinaire. If anyone knows how you become a theatre extraordinaire, please let us know.
0: I think I think I'm on track. I think I could. Play.
4: Of course you are, dear. Right. More facts for you. The large domed turrets are iconic in the Bradford skyline and they actually are yeah they are so it's got 1400 seats is that it oh sorry
0: no it's because it feels so much bigger (laughs) (laughs) that's what she said (laughs) yeah there we are (laughs) (laughs) it does seem a lot bigger do you you get what I mean yeah yeah you do all right 1400 seats start
4: by the Bradford Alhambra
0: call me the Alhambra (laughs) (laughs)
4: Um, Here's a cool fact, it was the main location, like the set, on the film The Dresser, 1983. They remakes that? Yeah. No, it was a play. It's been a play recently, but the film, uh, with, um, what's he called? Mooney. Alfred Mooney, is that his name? Daddy Warbuck. Oh, I don't know. Do a quick Google, talk amongst yourselves.
0: Frederick Mooney. Alfred Mooney.
4: Albert Mooney. Albert Mooney. That's him, isn't it?
1: Anyways, we're back with Russian and Treasure. I'm Aaron. That's guest co-host JP Yovanov. Did I say that correctly? You said JP correctly, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yovanov. Hey, at least I didn't say Jay Paul okay at least I didn't say Jay Paul okay. this time <laughs> and we're joined by the perfectly practical Caroline Sheen now speaking of Mary Poppins before we get onto the musical she is a bit of a superhero when you think about it
3: she isn't she
1: she is super and she saves the day now if in an alternate dimension which of the male superheroes would you love to play on film
3: always Superman always he is the number one superhero for me i just think he can do everything and anything as long as he's not near that green stuff and i don't like the color green so that's that's (laughs) good for me i'm i'm good at avoiding that so yeah i think superman is the way forward
1: yeah jp what female one would you
2: play oh man (laughs) uh maybe uh, she hulk would be kind of cool i'd I'd be interesting to be a lawyer Mm -hmm. i've never been a lawyer before so uh you know because you got a day job and you've got a night job it's it's kind of
3: yeah have you been a hulk before
2: obviously (laughs) that's why i'm like that part i've done (laughs) it's the lawyer part that's be more difficult you know i can fight aliens sure but you ever walk into court and you know not know what to do convincing a jury is a lot harder than it is to punch an alien in the face
1: (laughs) I would be Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman because that almost turned me straight when I was a little 7-year-old.
3: <laughs> I adore that woman. She's phenomenal. Phenomenal Pfeiffer. We highlight Grease 2, I reckon. She's incredible in Grease 2
1: yes oh my god yes <laughs> anyway speaking of michelle pfeiffer i love that we're in a for nice sense i don't know i can't so we're doing which is a face the musical we are which you were in the original cast on west end
3: i was yes it was a very long time ago it's, it's quite a trip down memory lane to, to have listened to it there are mm-hmm. some tracks i've listened to a few times but then there are others i've not listened to i think maybe even at all so i have right. totally forgotten they even existed <laughs>
1: Well, I've reviewed it this week.
3: Okay, in
1: my way, I'm not as um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm not as uh, oh, what's what's a word that sounds like someone's? I'm not as intelligent as JP, I guess, or as verbose. <laughs> I'm I'm more idiotic than JP, basically, <laughs> if that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> when first deciding to call upon the witches of Eastwick. It was only with vague knowledge of the infamous 2002 Melbourne production, which closed after three weeks, despite a magical cast and much promotion, and like three months of previews. So I enchanted the spotify to begin and with the overture fondly remembered the darkly funny film directed by Aussie great George Miller of Mad Max and Babe fame. But as the opening group number Eastwick Knows began, I couldn't help but wonder if they'd turn this dark cult classic into a cheery musical comedy. And as the album progressed, my worst fears seemed to play out. For Gone is the dark, seductive Daryl, and any quirky subtext swapped out for a standard Broadway sound. As we are introduced to Alex, Jane, and Suki, along with a small array of typical small-town residents, lyrically, the songs fit, expressing desire, frustration, and curiosity. But to darken the vibe of the music, even by 20%, would bring these well-constructed songs into the familiar world of the film. Because let's face it, even if this is based more on the book, nobody was watching it thinking of anything other than Nicholson, Sher, Sarandon, and Pfeiffer. Four actors whose portrayals were grounded, layered, and curious in their own way, without feeling like they were about to break out in jazz hands. I mean, the story has a man kill his wife for vomiting cherry pits, reflecting that darkness within the characters through music, such as they do in Sweeney Todd. Seems like it would have taken this much revised show out of Broadway and into the world of these characters. So as a show, it slightly misses the opportunity to drive into the actual psyche of these fascinating titular witches, as what we do is mostly all surface. And Daryl Van Horn's Little Town was completely wrong for him. It should have been a seductive, dark, even mysterious introduction to Eastwick's newest neighbour. So it's not a bad show by any means. Yet again, it's a case of turning up the dark, taking it out of the Broadway tourist territory and let the songs breathe in this world on their own. Or apparently in the little girl's mind. Anyways, more thriller, less sillier would levitate these wicked ladies from a three stars to a four, especially if the dots between songs are connected accordingly. So mostly the ingredients are there, but where's the blood? Where is the virgin blood sacrifice? So as I say, there's the makings of a great show there, but I can kind of see why in Melbourne it might've not had Is, are people still there. Yeah. yeah. I didn't lose you. To it. Okay. Still that's right. all right. Then yeah. I was like, either I've offended you or I've dropped out. No,
3: not at all. It's really interesting to hear what you're saying, because I was talking about the show earlier to um, a couple of friends and trying to work out what my thoughts were on it. Cause you know, it's something I haven't thought about for a long time and I I absolutely agree that I would love to see a production of this that was, you know, normal people in their jeans and their jackets going about their day that suddenly... Daryl Van Horn is conjured up and turns their all all their lives upside down and into chaos rather than a town full of musical comedy caricatures yes where somebody like that turning up would be just something that happens once a month you know know, it's not a surprise I think that's maybe where I think that show could go definitely sort of nowadays if it was if it was being done again I think they were almost a little bit before their time with regards to doing a musical comedy. When we first opened it, I think it was 2001, it was when all the shows in London were still trying to be Les Mis or Miss Saigon. We had like Napoleon, La Trek, La Cava, all these kind of pseudo-Europop musicals that were still very tragic and people died and there was blood and, and all that kind of thing. And our show ended up being this kind of antidote to that. But I think perhaps it was the wrong topic matter to do something so sort of comical with something quite dark. The book, I don't know if you've ever read the actual book of Witches of Eastwick by John. Oh my God, it! I mean, it's horrible. Like Instead of the sort of cherry pit spitting thing, he gives people cancer and things like that in it. It's it's really like, you know, not your typical musical comedy fodder at all. But I think, you know, I remember Mel Mel Brooks came to see the show and I I sort of like to think that that might have inspired his idea to go, oh, this could be a good Broadway show because that was it was when producers opened that suddenly musical comedy became cool again. But I, I do, I totally understand what you're saying with regards to the the tone of it. I think, I think it was just, it, it, they, they wanted to be a comedy so much that maybe it just misrepresented the, the material slightly.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a shame because we had already Into the Woods and Sweeney Todd, which granted they're the same person, but they are darkly funny. Yes. And very, very musical. And uh, that's why I mentioned to connect the dots between the songs, because then you're taking it out of that, immediately taking it out of that standard Broadway, here's some dialogue, break out into song. Yeah. Darken the tone. Like, look, look what they've done. I, I, I believe you saw it recently with Diane, because I spoke to her the morning that you went and saw it. We recorded with her for Around the World in 80 Days. Uh, 80 Days, 80 Plays. at Sunset Boulevard. They've oh, turned yeah, that yeah, into yeah. something incredibly dark without...
3: Yeah, it's a real... It's almost like they've changed the style of the show rather than the essence of it, you know. It's it's what I think yeah. could happen to, to Witches of Easter if they just sort of reassessed the tone and the style I think that it could, yeah. it has lots of potential because I think, you know, the songs are really catchy. And if they're sung by people that are in a slightly different mood, it might change that a bit. I have to say it was it was a, a joyous experience to be in the show. I, I, it was my first ever job for Cameron Mcintosh And I don't know about you guys, but I grew up obsessed with that documentary about Miss Saigon. Do you remember, did you ever watch the documentary about the making of Miss Saigon? No. It's like a cult classic over here. You have to watch it. I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. Literally put it in, the making of Miss Saigon. You see them going out to the Philippines to find their You see Lea Salonga auditioning for the first time, and she's like 17 and just like an angel. And then you sort of see it through rehearsals, into the theatre, into opening night. And then you're going into Cameron's offices for the sort of they're reviewing the show and they're looking at all the newspaper reviews. And I literally know that off by heart. And suddenly I was in it. I was going to audition in front of Cameron McIntosh. We did the read through in his offices. We opened in the same theatre and I was just living my absolute musical theatre stagey dreams. And I had an absolute ball. So, and I was only 24. I was you know, my, my musical theatre days went massively refined, but I, I loved it. And I think it was an interesting time to open a big, splashy Broadway comedy musical in London. And it's I don't think it's ever been done in New York. I think they got close to it by doing it in the theatre that Eric Schaeffer ran in DC, or just outside DC, uh, the Signature Theatre in Arlington, I think. They did a a version of it there and he was our director in the UK as well. So he knew it backwards and yeah, it just, it just didn't hit the mood. And, and then when we did, we went into our second cast and we'd moved theatres and changed, changed the show slightly. And obviously um, 9-11 happened and that was Uh, it then. Nobody was touring nobody was coming into london everybody even here you know were were staying away from some kind of big places and it 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 closed a lot of shows and and we got our two weeks notice and but i had 16 months of a great time on it so i can't complain really
1: you watched the melbourne production i did got to see that production how lucky were you that you got in there in that three weeks
3: wow did it close that quickly I had no idea wow
1: something like that it was like it was a big disaster
3: wow I was out there on holiday basically and because the it was the same production it's the exact same production that we did and so I stayed with some of the creative team when I was out there just for that week in Melbourne and I went to the opening night and I met my lovely friend Penny who played Jennifer which is the character I played and we stayed in touch loads we played loads of the same parts in musical theatre it's like quite unbelievable how we have kind of paralleled each other's careers I mean what I wouldn't have given to be in Home and Away that would have been very cool but um, I haven't done that yet (laughs) what was ironic was that when I got to Melbourne and met my friend who I was staying with he was like do you know who's here and I said no and Rosie Ash who played my mother in London, in, in which she's least which she played Felicia, she had been flown over to Melbourne to take over from I think a lady called Geraldine, who had got so they needed somebody who knew the show and who knew it and she'd like been nominated for Olivier for that award for that um, role so they flew her over and she ended up being in it for like two or three weeks while the lady got better or while her understudies got trained up so so yeah I ended up being there with the woman who played my mum as well which was very cool watched her on stage which was yeah it was a real really special little holiday so yeah
1: Oh, wonderful. And especially a a part that originated as well to see it in another country. It is something we talk about with Broadway performers when they've created roles and seeing other people, you know, take that on.
3: Yeah, it's really lovely, actually.
1: JP, I, I'll get your thoughts on it in just one second. I just want to throw in a couple more things here and then I'm going to shut up and, and listen to you talk. Uh, well, you know, I'm not going to shut up. Uh, OK, so the, the, this film was at a time where there was a lot of high concept, dark comedies, comedy thrillers, really, about strong, powerful women. You had She-Devil, you had Death Becomes Her, you had Witches of East week. you had Is It My Stepmother Is An Alien? I think I believe that was a bit of a dark comedy as well. So you had sort of all these high concept films and I know Death Becomes Her is going to be a musical. Now this worries me because if you're going to have someone looking like their head has been twisted around on stage and you want it to look real, you're going to have a good portion of your audience feeling sick while they're watching that because think about it people will go see a horror movie and feel sick and something like the saw movies people walk out of them because they feel sick so how are they going to go watching death become so with the character with her head twisted around they'd have to
2: make it look cartoonish you'd think wait are you saying i have to abandon my saw the musical musical
1: that's already a parody musical would you believe like someone's already yeah no seriously that's what there's nothing better than creating your own characters and seeing other people fall in love with them i had a child dress up as one of my characters from my novel like that's the greatest thrill ever that's
3: very cool anyways again you don't want people vomiting in the aisles then in musicals
1: yeah that that was that's what all that was about was about death becomes so no you don't want that yeah yeah so they're gonna have to do it making it look cartoonish i think so that people it's like the blood in kill bill it's very red so that people don't feel sick at how much blood there is
3: yes it's high everything's sort of heightened isn't it so your belief is suspended but not that suspended that you're gonna
2: actually vomit
1: Yep, that's it so JP, your thoughts on this musical sorry
2: well i've known about this show for a while now um for you know i obviously listened to the cast recording a long time ago and i really loved it of course i do love dana rose you know zombie prom i love that show it's silly mm. it's fun um so i've already had a you know a proclivity towards his music so when i heard which is basic i loved it you know what i i've not seen it i've not seen the movie i've not read the book so i know nothing about it i just basically know what i've listened to and you know we talked earlier about you know listening to cast recordings before even that's all i do <laughs> with musical theater plug plug, <laughs> plug. Uh, so yeah that's all i do is listen to them and, uh, you know, I play a bunch of these songs already on the radio. You know what? I had to disagree with you a little bit, uh, Aaron, about I Love This Little Town, you know, being a bit darker. It's right at the beginning of the show. You know, it, I don't think you need you can't start dark and then go darker. I think I, I see Daryl. No, I see Daryl as Harold Hill. He's an evil, eviler Harold Hill. And and that's how I see it. And when I hear it, it's that's when you go darker because you got to get this town like you do first you got to trick them it's basically the music man but with which is you know i think it's really cool i like it i'd love to play daryl one day on (laughs) stage that would be fantastic because those songs are so much fun yeah that's 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 my thing i I really like that i know i haven't seen it on stage until like you said until you see it on stage you don't know how it works and you know maybe it should be darker but the whole blood thing as well you were talking about american psycho there's a butt ton of blood in that um, whenever they do it. So, you know, I don't know.
3: Basically, we ran for 16 months and there are about four different versions of the musical because it kept changing all the time because we didn't get great reviews. So people just kept tinkering with it. And then in the first cast change, we had Clark Peters come in. Do you know Clark Peters? Wonderful, wonderful actor. He was in a thing called, is it Boardwalk Empire? And I think he might've been in The Wire as well on television and they changed the song at the end of the show there's a song called who's the man and they changed it for clark and they changed it to this gospel number called the glory of me so if you can find that on youtube as well that's a wonderful song it then became sort of slightly less misogynist and more about somebody who was amazing because he was the devil not amazing because a bloke with a big dick you know So it kept changing and changing. And I found that was what was interesting when I was listening to it, going, oh my God, that didn't last long. And, I mean, there were two songs that were cut in previews. I I lost a solo and Rosie Ash lost a solo as well. You know, we're obviously both devastated, but you understand it because you're like, this show is, it's not working, so we've got to change things and I've got to bite the bullet. And actually they replaced it with a little reprise that ended up being far funnier. And like you said, it's it's almost like he's, he's this puppet that they've conjured up and he's, I love a little town. He's taking all the residents of the town and and making them all dance to his tune. And then that goes further then in the second act with Dance with the Devil. Like you said, if it's embedded in reality, then that's really exciting. But I think... if you are going to have a town full of like cartoonish characters, that's where it's not going to be as as much fun. So I think that that's something that I'm sorry, I'm absolutely repeating myself now and boring myself, but you know, it's, that's what I've always kind of thought about it. I always kind of, we, we were all kind of color coded in our costumes. I was pink. My friend was green. Somebody else was orange. So it was beautiful to watch. It was, it was a really beautiful thing to watch and bright and colorful. But I feel like that it should have got bright and colorful, a bit like Oz. When Daryl Van Horn enters, it's like we're suddenly in Oz, like in the Wizard of Oz, which I'm sorry, was absolutely a dream because I heard your podcast with Diane Pilkington. It's absolutely a dream. It's a, yeah. Little fantasy dream. And I'm I'm sure people were saying it's not a dream, but I'm absolutely convinced it's a dream.
1: <laughs> yeah. How the fuck does she get that house it's from Munchkinland to Emerald City <laughs> and then back? Absolutely. Hello. Like, it is. It is clearly a dream, obviously. And, and Uncle Henry is dead. Like, I, I'm i going to call a spade <laughs> a spade. Like, I'll go along with the fantasy of it, sure. But in reality, no, you're absolutely right. <laughs> Um, okay, now just a, a few rebuttals there, JP. The Harold Hill thing, I think you totally could have done that as a darker number because... You don't need to have him interacting with the people. They could all be frozen, and he is seducing them with this song. It could have a slow build up or something. It didn't need to be jazz hands. I'm going to tap dance right now. And I think also the focus on him winning over the town in that Harold Hild way, I think, was also misplaced. It should have the focus should have been on the witches of Eastwick and him developing their relation or the relationship with them and manipulating them and then them turning the tables as i say i haven't seen the complete community production that i watched on youtube so (laughs) i don't know the ending yeah no i i'd love to hear it darkened up and hear if it changes my experience with the show I think
3: we need to kind of do what they did to like Starlight express years ago and like revisit it and and reorchestrate it and re revamp it. And let's see how it works in sort of the 21st century now, I guess. I mean, it was almost, it was the 21st century, but very early on, let's see where we are now. Like, Twenty-three years later,
2: it was a totally different time, though. It it really was. You couldn't darken it then, and it wouldn't work. It would probably have closed way faster. Now, if you darken it, do you think our society? Yeah, I think so. Our society's ready for this now. We are much darker, more accepting of that sort of thing now than in the two thousands.
3: And like you said, like the three powerful women in it is that's that's very now, isn't it? It's, it's all about right. kind of the Me Too movement and women taking back control. So that could be really cool. You know, even though they're trying to summon their perfect boyfriend and it goes slightly wrong, that kind of fall into the kind of seduction that he brings and then the reality check that actually, no, this is totally wrong. It could really, really work these days. They did a big concert of it last year. They kind of...
2: Um, brought back like a
3: one-off concert of it last year which I I didn't go to so I'd be interested to know how that kind of felt really to see how it is now sort of a gazillion years later (laughs) I'd be playing I'd be playing my own mother now I think I'll go in and do (laughs) I just I, I recently did 9 to f- well you know I did 9 to 5 recently and I, that felt very witches of eastwick to me and probably a similar yes. similar era of film actually but you know it had three leading ladies and three different ages and yeah I did feel very Alex as as Violet in in 9 to 5 I was I was kind of living my Alex dreams in in that it was it was lovely to yeah. be the part of a triumvirate you know
1: yeah oh awesome i was to say uh, last thing paul mcdermott the aussie guy who played daryl van horn i remember when he was first cast for it it was perfect because he's got that cheeky devilish quality about him i know you guys probably wouldn't know who he is but he did a comedy show in australia called good news week where it was basically you know taking the piss out of the week's news and stuff like that it was very funny and he was very cheeky in it so it was a sort of a perfect casting of him being in the role uh, and pippa granderson from muriel's wedding classic classic australian film as well as a cast of australian stars but anyways we're gonna move it on because we are running over time now uh where's my where's my thing image my segue um oh no i've writ- handwritten it that's right uh well it looks like words 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 i break. break g'day listeners aaron here While you're topping up your coffees, did you know that you can support our show and go on a fantastically scary adventure at the same time? Go to www.thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore to grab your copy of The Toniston Tales, a darkly funny Aussie trilogy about a young boy who rescues injured animals in his spare time and the rollercoaster ride he's taken on. a literal fish out of water. Written by me, the village idiot of thrash and treasure, you will come to love Toniston Turnbull and the dozens of wacky characters that he meets along the way. And here is a sneak peek. Landing with a thud that echoes throughout the whole cottage, Toniston instantly rips off the manky shoes gifted to him by Milfred and tosses them into the corner behind a blue barrel. Without a second thought, the bully races down the hallway to the backmost room of the house and leaps behind his uncomfortable makeshift hay bed. Then waits, and waits, and then waits some more. Until finally, what seems like an eternity later, muffled growls start vibrating through the thin walls of Cubpaw's cottage. He tries to control his breathing, but his heart is racing way too fast. Toniston ducks down further. Nothing should be able to see him, but he can't be sure they won't smell him. The gruff growling grows louder. Toniston presses his ear against the cold, chipped, chalky wall. He thinks he can make out phrases like, Where is it? and Give us the merge, though not much else. It's all too mumbled, and he's shaking too much. But it doesn't matter anymore. The front door of the cottage slams open with a harder, louder cracking thud than it ever had before. A dozen or so stomping footsteps enter. The cottage shakes uncontrollably as if it is as terrified as our friend the bully is toniston panics he's trapped in a corner with a slew of sharks on his trail he makes a sudden rush decision ripping aside the thick animal hide curtain toniston leaps through the small oval-shaped window head first landing on a crate filled with hay sitting outside it mustering every ounce of manliness he has not to react verbally as he lands with a crunch on the sharp pin-like hay It pierces his skin in several places, but thankfully, in his panicked state, the bully becomes numb to the pain. Counting his blessings, but not his chickens, Toniston struggles out of the crate by throwing his legs over and levering himself up. Causing the coral underneath his feet to snap, he loses balance and tumbles. To describe the pain of tumbling face-first down a steep hill of hard, sharp, deadly-shaped coral would require far too many swear words than this author would be allowed to publish, so let's just say it hurt. A lot. With one last somersault, Toniston's legs fly first over the cliff's edge. Crunch. His left hand grabs hold of the outmost jagged knob of coral. The stocky body of the ten-year-old child sways rapidly back and forth like some sort of death-defying pendulum. He gasps for air, or from shock, not even Toniston can tell. All he knows is above him a deadly coral cliff and deadlier sharks. Below him, larger, sharper coral under a sea of giant, sharp spikes of natural metal his head throbbing and vision too blurred with bright red splotches to be able to see clearly for too long. His face is dripping with blood, it runs down his shirt front, tickling him in the process. But all he can do is swing there. It's moments like these that a boy really needs his mum. Unfortunately, while Toniston's life hangs in the balance, on earth his life was dishonestly being celebrated by all at Gumbire Primary School after news of the bully's disappearance had spread like wildfire through the tiny town, then on to the music industry before eventually reaching the wider world. Rock music fans, specifically those of Muzzletop, had flocked to the outskirts of Melbourne, leaving wreaths, band posters and hand-drawn tributes to honour the missing son of their favourite singer. Although none of them knew the boy, many had seen him standing on the side of the stage of the band's concerts alongside Tina. Also, at the time of his disappearance, hundreds of the world's entertainment media lined the streets outside the school and, sadly, outside Tina's house. Wanting any word they could get their greasy hands on, the gossip came in thick and fast as snide, bored neighbours took it upon themselves to speculate and make up stories for their five minutes of fame. Inside the house, the phone ringing 10, 15 times a day from nosy TV stations hounding the poor, terrified mother, there was no escape. And whilst Tina was never polite in her declination, still they persisted. Call me again and I'll punch you in the nose she promised. The school's principal, Mr. Patterson, had himself realised how cold and nasty it would look if Toniston Turnbull's former victims didn't at least pretend to mourn his disappearance. And thus, with an added paranoia of becoming a suspect, Mr. Patterson set out to overcompensate with memorials and dedications to the boy who touched all our lives with his love of animals. Mr. Patterson felt satisfied his school's image was intact. The largest memorial from the school came in the form of a service in the gymnasium. With every student, teacher, news reporter and local police in attendance, Mr. Patterson sought to show the world just how much Toniston had meant to the school. The service would have made the bully puke. From the awful school choir butchering his least favorite songs to the obnoxious releasing of the white doves, Mister Patterson may have been satisfied his memorial service paid tribute. But Toniston is far too cynical for that. And yet, whilst hundreds of people sat on the cold plastic seats in the Gumbire Primary School auditorium, not one person in attendance truly knew Toniston when he was around. But all alone in her large house the animals all shunned outside tina turnbull sits with her umpteenth glass of wine ignoring the umpteenth phone call from friends fans and family but most sad of all wondering for the umpteenth time what she could have said to her only child to have brought the two of them closer together a now broken photo of trent turnbull and an infant toniston only hours after his birth sits at her feet under the table. Tina simply doesn't care about the million tiny shards of glass cutting up her feet. She just wants her son back. And as if joined at the soul, while dangling from the lavender-coloured dead coral cliff face, somewhere in his head voice, Tina's cries are heard by the boy. His face scrunches up, but then it relaxes. I can do this. Grab your copy of The Toniston Tales from thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore today. Hooroo. Oh, we're back with Thrash and Treasure, I'm Aaron, that's guest co-host JP, and I've lost my thing again, we're joined by the practically perfect Caroline Sheen, i just got a few questions about your hopes and dreams for the future, so we're gonna start off with one I've been asking lots recently, what's one normal, everyday thing that everyone else can seem to do perfectly well, but you fail miserably at?
3: Make a pancake. Oh really? Yeah. I just, I can't do it. I can't make a pancake and my <laughs> child loves them. And I'm absolutely, used to it. pancakes and omelets, anything you have to get out of a frying pan. No, I can't do it. <laughs> and so that's, that's something I can't, can't do. Although I did buy a crepe maker. So it's a bit better now because it is already flat. So it's easier to flip over. So I'm getting better. I'm working on it, improving my skills.
1: Yeah, what about you, JP? Like, for me, it's I cannot keep control of my pens. As you notice, I've already lost <laughs> one in this time. Look under your leg. There is literally 20 around the vicinity somewhere. I, I cannot tell you where they are because I fall asleep and I wake up and they're gone. <laughs> A strange lump in my throat for some reason.
2: <laughs> Sorry, JP. I, I I don't know. I'm practically perfect, too. <laughs> Small talk i'll be honest people or at least it seems that way with with people when you're in groups and people are just i'm like "Mm -hmm." (laughs) it's it's not a great answer but you know it it is the truth not i just can't do it and i do a podcast so imagine
1: yeah that's it look we've had coffee that many times and it's never been a so how's the weather no it's not
3: it's like, if they're not talking about musicals, you've got nothing to say. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: no, it's just literally just me sitting there talking like two hours.
2: Yeah, it's like 80, 20 talking. <laughs> if I was a body part, I'd be an ear. <laughs> so. That's it. Uh, JP, you got. Do you have a question? I'll- of course I do, and this goes back to Eastwick. You know, one of the songs in Eastwick is called "Dance with the Devil." Now, what kind of dance do you think that might be? Like the lambada, the forbidden dance, or something like the hokey pokey or the chicken dance, which I believe are actually minor tortures in hell. And do you like dancing?
3: It's dan- dancing on um, as as me. I do not do. If you ever see me on a dance floor, mm-hmm. you'll know that I am incredibly <laughs> drunk because I just. Hate, <laughs> hate, hate, hate dancing. I will do it if I'm told the steps, obviously, and if there's a choreographer and I can blag that as much as I can. Obviously, I danced a lot in Mary Poppins and Crazy For You and um a little bit in 95. You know, I've done I've done dancey shows, but if the dance with the devil for me would be any kind of dance where i'm just me that would just be horrendous and i would i would be screaming
2: (laughs) well you brought up the macarena erin would you would you feel more comfortable if we were all doing the exact same moves like line dancing and then you'd fit in nicely or
3: yeah because there's there's a structure then right there's there's rules
1: right yeah yeah maybe if it's the nut bush but (gasps) that's an australian thing the nut bush city limits
3: yeah the tina turner stuff
1: yeah we have a dance to that in Australia. Oh, cool. If that ever goes on at a wedding, a party, a school disco or anywhere, you know, people are going to be on the floor doing the little leg things or the out, 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 in, 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 knee, knee, kick, kick, whatever it is. I can't do it with my arms, obviously. Um, yeah. So, but it's an only an Australian thing.
3: I'm, I'm Googling that again. That's, that's on my list of things to Google now.
1: What's it called? The Nutbush Dance. The Nut. Well, Nutbush City Limits Dance. Part of the reason why Tina Turner loved Australia is because we loved her and we even had our own line dance to it. <laughs> Anyways, it's not my interview. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> tour accommodation, because I hear a little birdie tells me that you have a lot of opinions about the UK tour accommodation setup and performers having to book their own accommodation.
3: The touring situation over here in the UK. Is not great. We're not given a huge to tour. I don't I've I've not toured a huge amount here, only Mary Poppins. And that was literally yep. three big sit-downs. We were like six weeks in Plymouth, three months in Birmingham, another few months in Edinburgh, and then I finished. But you know, I got out to America and they give you a list. You get two huge hotels to choose from. It's part of the job. Whereas over here it feels like it's something that you've got to do yourself. Whereas in the productions over there they help you it's part of the kind of the nurturing side of the production they help you find places to live and and that's not something that happens over here and i do know there's a couple of people that are quite vociferous about it and are trying to get a campaign with equity to make sure you know i think they people have turned up to like airbnb and the owner's gone actually we we changed our mind you can't stay here we've got someone who's going to pay us more so and they're literally on the streets of, of Sheffield or Northampton or something going well where are we going to go because we thought we'd book, we booked this months ago and then it's there's just not a huge amount of safety and I think you know especially with quite a lot of the tours are full of people who are doing their first jobs and are young and probably quite vulnerable and not really you know don't know a huge amount about living on their own yet and you know I just think that a little bit more care needs to be taken of of actors I think and the company in that situation yeah
1: yeah and there's also a health issue there because you don't want to be I think um Diane Lizzie and Alfie might have spoken about it in episode five of Around the World in 80 Place, <laughs> exclusive to the Bloop Network, uh, in terms of going to a place that might have like mold in the walls or in mm-hmm. the bed, oh, yeah. in the mattress mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And you're a singer. You don't need mold in your lungs, yeah. people. Yeah, exactly. Why? I don't get it. Why with all due respect to the producers, and I get, like, you know, the money and stuff like that, and it these touring productions are a massive thing. That's what the whole show, well, that's half of what Around the World is about, is that they're touring sister act around, right. and so the audience is getting that firsthand, uh, you know, account of touring the orchestras, touring all the sets, touring the stage floor, and, and all that stuff, and all the technical stuff, and, and, and all this jazz. Amazing. And I, it should everyone should be a priority because what's the point in having all that those sets and lugging all that around the country and then saying to your actors, I will meet you there or saying to your orchestra, I will meet you there. Oh yeah.
3: There, there was one situation in America. It was the first time i had flown between, I joined the tour in Los Angeles, but I didn't start performances till we got to Arizona. We went to a place called Tempe in Arizona. I flew there and then, I was with my husband then and then he flew home and the next stop was Denver. And I'm there ready to fly. And there's a few of us strikes it's all paid for. The producers are there. They sort all that out. But they do this thing where they overbook the flights and they are, they said, yo, oh, sorry, you don't have a seat to me and my com- the company manager a guy called Randy. his face just went white he was like no 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 we need we need her she is mary poppins she has to fly to denver <laughs> and so they i think they literally paid a couple to miss their flight so that i could get on the flight to go there whereas i think if the, if i hadn't been with him on and it hadn't been part of the company policy you know, over over yeah. here, that would have been an absolute disaster.
1: You would have been absolutely screwed. Now, why didn't you just open your umbrella?
3: <laughs> oh, I'm not allowed to do that in public.
1: <laughs> and I was like, it's America. They'll go on a freaking witch hunt, wouldn't they? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Anyways. We actually got a fan question sent in. Ooh. So what animal were you in animal studies? <gasps> and this comes from Queen Diane Pilkington.
3: <laughs> Diane, I'm going to kill her. This is the worst mark I got in college. And it was the setup was you had to study an animal for a term and then you had to write a monologue as that animal and you had to perform as the animal. And then the animal had to become human and deliver the monologue. OK, mm-hmm. quite a I'm quite a bouncy, steeper. So I decided I'd be a kangaroo. OK. I was a kangaroo. Yeah. Now, now, typical for Australia, you know that's nice. I was, you know, I'm, I'm. It's it works well for this podcast, but it did not work well on the day of the assessment because they had polished the floor of the dance studio. Sure. <laughs> so I was doing, <laughs> I was doing my best bouncing and sliding around all over the place and it was just an absolute disaster and not only that I stood up and about three people before me had got up and said hello I'm so I'm going to be a panther and then someone else got up and said hello I'm so and so I'm going to be a panther and I literally got up and said hello I'm Caroline Sheen I'm going to be a panther no I'm not i go." going to I'm going to be a kangaroo. So it already didn't start well. Then I slipped and slided all (laughs) over the place. And then my monologue was obviously shit because... You know, I'm not a, I'm not a screenwriter or a scriptwriter of any sort. And um and I got a D minus for my animal study. <laughs> I think I probably did the worst out of everybody. So I'm thrilled that Diane has let me put that down for absolute, you know, future audiences to learn from and learn what not to do for animal study.
1: Love you, Diane. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm so glad because it was only a few hours ago I, I tweeted her. <laughs> I said, did you want to submit a fan question or secretly? As soon as you said the floor had been waxed, all I could picture <laughs> was you just you jumping and then just boom, flat on your ass.
3: I used to do ice skating. You think I'd have had a bit of technique. But no, it was it was not uh, good
1: no. <laughs> This is why kangaroos have tails behind them That drag on the floor Because it stops them from falling back on their ass
3: And see, we weren't in costume, you know If I'd had a tail, it could have no. helped <laughs> But no, we were just in our leotards And our shiny tights <laughs> Oh
0: no, that,
1: that is No, it was
3: not good It was not good at all
1: That is wonderful Now, okay, if you could have speak, uh, Kind of segueing there If you could have a part written for you, what, where, why, how, what character, what, what, what would you want? Oh,
3: it would be Welsh. You'd have to be Welsh. Funny. Yeah. Nice few belty notes in there, but not too many because, you know, eight shows a week and all that. Love interest, played by Colin Firth, please. Or my darling husband, obviously, but I'd actually rather Colin. And maybe I could actually be a Jane Austen musical, and I could still be young enough to be the love interest of that, Um, the sort of young heroine. You know, AI and all that, it could work. So, yeah, something like that. Something Welsh, romantic, and um, historic. I'd quite like that, please. (laughs) Yeah.
1: high society and possibly a little bit devilish because all Jane Austen's characters were a little bit. Yeah. A little bit mischief. I
3: believe
2: (laughs) that's it. Anyways, I've got two more questions here. So JP. I'm curious. You played Mary Poppins. So did you go the method actor route? Have you ever tried a spoonful of sugar?
3: (laughs) Um, I haven't tried a spoonful of sugar, but I was that kid and I have to admit, I still (laughs) am that kid who, if there are sugar cubes in a sugar bowl in front of me, on a table in a restaurant, I will eat them. So I've tried a a few sugar cubes.
2: Your dentist loves you.
3: Am I too What? My teeth aren't too bad. So that's not great. I'm, I'm all right. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not a spoonful of sugar, but a, a cube full of sugar is my way forward. Yeah. But no, so I, I, I think with method acting is a bit, um, not that I know that was not what the question was, but what I loved about Mary was that so there's so many, so many different ways you can play her. And when, when you have to do it in different theatres, in different areas of the world, then it's to be able to go, well, do you know what? I'm going to make her a bit more snooty tonight or tonight I'm going to make her a bit softer or more mischievous. There was so many different ways because she actually doesn't change at all during the show. I remember the director saying to me, as a protagonist, she's actually really dull because she starts exactly the same place as she ends she hasn't been changed maybe she's softened slightly because of that there's a lovely moment with michael banks at the end but she is the same she's changed everybody else so it was quite nice to sort of find ways to change my performance rather than change the character during the evening you know
1: yeah I, i do find it quite cold i've always thought that now sugar sandwich White bread, butter, sugar. Sugar sandwich. Beautiful, Mm. right? It is delicious.
3: Um, I'm adding that onto my list of things to do after this podcast. Sugar sandwich.
1: But even better, fairy bread.
3: What's that? Something Australian that I don't know about
1: sprinkles yeah it's australian like hundreds oh. and thousands or sprinkles whatever you call them not the little round balls because they're too hard you want the like the little longer ones like the, you know the little they okay look like the little...
3: yeah like the overly things
1: yeah like yeah little lines yeah. Like, yeah, the, yeah, like that, like the little, little tubes of sugar, yeah. basically. Fairy bread. If you look it up, it's like a whole staple of children's parties in Australia. You go there, there's going to be fairy bread.
3: Amazing.
1: Bread and butter with sprinkles on it. It is so good. Oh, my God. Even now as an adult, I will still have them, even though I probably shouldn't because I'm an adult.
3: Speaking of Australia, right, and children, can we also, I know, This is massively digressing. We don't have time. Can we also mention how amazing (laughs) kids' television is from Australia? Yes. Like, First of all, there's a thing called Little Lunch, which adults can watch as well as kids because it's the funniest programme. There's a thing called, what's it called? Um, The Investigator. The Investigators or Investigators. That's similar to Little Lunch. Very, very funny. And now, Bluey. I'm sorry. I mean... My my kid's too old to watch Bluey now, but it's still on because I still love it, and it's just yeah. brilliant. <laughs> you guys have got it nailed down there. It was brilliant
1: with um Meg Ayesa on the show, which is probably aired by now. We he was in a kids' show growing up called The Ferals.
3: Oh wow!
1: Like the Muppets, but they were feral basically, and would like <laughs> whack each other with a, a frying pan and be like, "You stupid dimwit, I hate you and stuff." And oh like, wow, they cheated on this. Sp- school tests and all this stuff like that it was not a kid that it was not a show they're going to have now because it influenced kids to be feral but we loved it the,
3: the other thing i was going to say was that i worked with philip quost who we did funny thing happened on the way the forum together and we found out that he was a big kids tv presenter back in the day in australia yep. Somebody somebody found some footage of him, like and and got it sent over Failure for us. And on our last matinee, we put up a big TV right where you go onto the stage, like not not on not backstage, but just before you get backstage. We put it up in the hallway and we were playing him being singing as a dinosaur, like on a loop and we thought yep. we thought it was hilarious and we were like oh he's going to be he's going to be so embarrassed he's going to come out and be like oh my god you guys are embarrassing me. he came out and he was like yeah look how fucking brilliant i was, I was he was so proud of it and we were just like oh I, I love that man he was absolutely brilliant and it was just joyous to see him like doing that kid stuff it i was just like i'm not surprised like all you australians are just awesome because you grow up watching Philip Cross being fabulous, so you know, yeah, standard. Really. And
1: Simon Burke as well. Oh, really? And Simon Burke. Oh my
3: gosh.
1: Yeah, they. It was play school. You had that in the UK. Yeah, we it did. Ended. We did. Yeah. 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 Twenty years ago, our Australian version has still is still on air. 60 oh. something years later. I'm so envious. Simon <laughs> was on it for twenty years. Mm. I, Simon Burke's been on this show twice now. Oh. So literally, like the guy. These guys taught me to read and taught me the ABCs and and all that jazz. One, two, three, and and all the nursery rhymes and read to me and, and all that jazz. And
3: that's so cool.
1: I know, right? I'm gonna cross off the stage door question. Sorry, so we'll have to talk about that another time. We'll have to have you back, please. Yes, please. We'll have, to have you and Diane back <laughs> together? <laughs> when we have five hours spare, I'll have the two of you <laughs> together. <laughs> the leading question. Home and Away or Neighbours?
3: Oh, well, I've got to say Home and Away, haven't I? Because of um, because of Penny. But also, I played opposite Jason Donovan in um, Chichi Chichi Bang Bang. So I guess I could... Oh, no, see, I'm stuck now. I did love... I loved Neighbours. I loved them both. But I think Home and Away. I think Home mm-hmm. and Away. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, lucky I asked that at the end of the show and not at the start, or it would have been a very short show. <laughs>
3: It's hot, it, I think because it's got the beach and it's beautiful and it looks like a glorious place to live. So you didn't see the beach much in Neighbours. It was sort of felt more suburban.
1: Yeah, no, it is. It's I very feel like suburban, Home and yeah.
3: Away showed Australia off a bit more.
1: Yeah, uh, and their yeah. bodies, pretty much. But
3: I, would, I wouldn't. I wouldn't know about that.
1: <laughs> well, I actually I haven't watched Home and Away in ages, but the, Dominic, the guy that I've just posted the episode of he's so into australian soaps and he actually goes into his australian accent in the episode oh
3: brilliant
1: i'm so proud (laughs) i am so proud so this is how he's like literally just been sleeping with kim kardashian on american horror story
3: so is she in american horror story then or are they or are they dating in real life
1: no no she's in the show
3: okay She's, she's acting wow i did not know they can do anything can't they they have the ability yep. to just make it happen. That'd be a nice thing. Mm-hmm. That'd be a nice power to have. Tell me, <laughs> Tell me
1: about it. Tell me about Well, they should use their power to get me an A-lister on this show. How about that? There
3: you go. Get him Sorry. to get Kim Kardashian <laughs> on. Get her to talk about musical theatre. Oh, I honestly don't think if, if Kim Kardashian knocked on my door, I don't think I'd know who she was. It's It's something that's totally passed me by. And video games, to be honest, I I played Super Mario and stuff when I was a kid, but that's about it.
1: <laughs> Actually, I had a question of what musical would you love to see as a video game?
3: Oh, oh, I think I think something like Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat with all the brothers, and you could like yeah. shoot them all or something like that, or they all have, they're, they're they're the the ones you all have to you know if you you can't shoot Joseph, but you can shoot all his brothers.
2: And you get to fight a goat.
3: Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: I'd love to play Little Shop of Horrors because you could do it like a sim game where you got to start a flower shop and you've got to keep it going. And you've got to go around the town and try to find strange and interesting plants. But if you get the wrong one, it's going to eat you all. Oh,
3: yeah, that's cool. Yeah, see, I don't know sims. I was literally just going to like one of those things where you shoot the things coming down on the arcade game. Yeah,
1: that'll <laughs> still be fun.
3: Yeah. I can't even remember. Space Invaders. That's the one. I was
1: <laughs> no. Space
3: Invaders, but with Joseph and his brothers. <laughs> what a random thing we're talking about here.
1: They they pop up behind sand dunes instead of flying through the sky. <laughs> they sort of pop up. Like, like Duck Hunt. There used to be that Duck Hunt. Careful. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. It was actually in the, the Super Mario Brothers movie and I was waiting for them to say it, but they didn't say it. Anyways, as, I'll let you go. Uh, before we go where can people find you on the social medias
3: i'm on instagram i was on twitter but i've come off that because it's so toxic um yep. so i'm i'm just instagram these days so yeah come and say hi yeah
1: we'll put the details below and your album
3: yeah raise the curtain raise the curtain is um oh i
1: got it wrong i got it, sorry i got it wrong in your your introduction i'll have to re-record that sorry i wrote curtains up oh
3: no worries no worries that's it's the same sort of thing (laughs) it means the same thing
1: i know i know i know and i'm not unresearched
3: i do need to get that listed on spotify i still haven't done that so i need to get that on i think you can listen to it on youtube i've got a gazillion boxes of them in my loft so if you want to come and get it you can
1: uh, no, it's on. It is on Spotify. Oh, is it?
3: Yeah. Oh my goodness!
1: You had listeners from Australia the other day. No so. way!
3: Oh, I'm thrilled. There you go. I don't know how that happened, yep. but great! Thrilled about that. Thank I
1: you. I have no idea who it was.
3: <laughs> it's probably my. It, I did say. I did say to my producer, "Can you put me on uh, Spotify?" But that sort of conversation never finished. So clearly, he did. That's excellent. Marvelous.
1: There you go. Okay,
2: that's we probably should have looked it up sooner.
3: (laughs) I'm gonna look it up now.
2: Raise the curtain. You're on Sim G Productions. Yes, I know Simon. Yes, Simon. I've I've done a ton of stuff with Simon. Yeah, he
3: did that for me. Yeah, I've known Simon for years. So yeah, he he had a really good little label going on. I don't think he does it anymore because obviously the music industry has changed so much. But it was actually before I went on tour with Mary Poppins. I thought I've never really had a reason to do an album and. I thought it'd be nice to have an album on tour because you can sell it, which is quite handy. But also, I'd just done "The Light in the Piazza," which is amazing, and I kind of wanted some sort of record that I'd actually done it. So I put that. I wanted. It's basically an excuse for me to sing "Light in the Piazza" on on a CD. So that's what I did, <laughs> and then added loads of other new musical music to it. And my song from "Witches of Eastwick," which was cut, is also on it. So yeah, that's my album. So, yeah, go listen to it on Spotify. And I will, too, because I haven't yet.
2: (laughs) I think I'm going to buy it and then add it to my rotation. So
3: Please please. do. I would be thrilled. Thank you, JP. Thank you.
2: Thank you
1: for... JP, you know I'm poor. there yeah, you're making me look bad because I can't afford like literally <laughs> anything. Like, I'm going to buy two
2: albums to make you look terrible. <laughs> oh, no, I don't, I, like, it, it, honestly, if I was to buy
1: everyone's things that comes on my show, I would be even poorer.
3: Bankrupt.
1: <laughs> but yeah, tell me about it. Once we can monetize these shows and get some actual paid advertising that isn't our own stuff, like <laughs> our own novels or our own shows, <laughs> then I can, you know, afford things along the way. But I did listen to it.
3: I'm going to hit you up about my idea for a podcast and we'll see how we get on. I'd really like because I don't really know where to start. So you can help me with that. That would be amazing. If, if you don't mind. <laughs>
1: Hopefully, Izzy. Uh, Izzy. Oh, my God. I just got it. Izzy. Lizzie and Alfie, or as I call them, Elsie, uh, will put in a good word for me. So
3: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Yes. I love it. Lizzie being Alfie Parker. I haven't they've done have they done one of your podcasts I haven't listened to theirs. Yes. I've listened to Diane's.
1: Yeah, are uh, awesome.
3: Diane is one of my bestest. Yeah. I love it. Enjoy. I've listened to like two of your podcasts and I love it. So I'm gonna listen to loads more of them now that I have met oh. you and and I know about it. So that's great. Thank you.
1: Oh, awesome. I greatly appreciate it. Anyways, I'll let you go because it's been nearly two hours and I have to record in six hours time with Joe DiPietro. It
3: must be so late for you. And I'm going to go make some fairy bread now. So I'll let you know how it goes. Yes, let me know. (laughs) Brilliant.
1: Yes, I want photo on Instagram and tag me in it.
3: Okay, I will. I will.
1: Alrighty, a huge, huge thank you to Caroline for joining us. That was so much fun. And sorry about my audio issues, as you might have heard. There was a few bung notes here and there. And missing words, and I dropped out a couple of times. But my internet issues are now fixed! Yay! Uh, also, a huge thank you to Caroline's agents at Thrive, and to Queen Diane for her help and for sending in a fan question. And also a huge, huge thank you to my arch-nemesis, JP or John Paul Jovanoff for joining me again as a guest co-host. I cannot wait to do it again in the future. Alrighty, so this episode was recorded back in November, possibly even October, that's how long ago it was, there was this whole block of five episodes within a three week span, it was killer, and then some stuff happened, however, this episode was meant to be airing last year, it got pushed back, and in the meantime, Caroline has since been announced as a cast member of, and opened, Plaza Suite on the West End with Matthew Broderick and Sarah Jessica Parker. Anyway, so check below for details, and you can pick up tickets to Plaza Suite on the West End, running until April, I believe. Also, you can check out John Paul's network, Musical Theatre Radio, where he is constantly playing musical theatre. That's what it is, Musical Theatre Radio. Plus, he has a bunch of podcasts, including Be Our Guest, where you can currently hear Lizzie B and Alfie Parker from around the world in 80 Plays talking about their podcast, and me, and Thrash and Treasure. So this week is pretty much MTR cross with the Bloop Network. So we are cross-pollinating and collaborating, and yay! Uh, anyways, I'm overtired as usual, so you can find Caroline at Caroline Sheen, look below for the details, you can find JP, John Paul at MTR underscore tweets, so yeah, check below for the details, you can find us at Thresh and Treasure or at Thresh and Treasure Podcast by the Toniston Tales, read the Toniston Tales by Caroline's album, Raise the Curtain, not Curtains Up. I forgot to re-record the intro, but oh well. Anyways, I'm going to round up. Thank you so much for listening. You're at home, you take care, look after yourselves, and we shall see you next time. <laughs>
0: because to-
1: they're touring around. The UK. Yeah. And they've taken Dolly the dog with them. And what I did was I got them their own theme song for Dolly. So when they bring up what Dolly did, there's a little piano music that plays. So JP was going to be composing it, but he. My
2: keyboard has like eight broken keys. I can't play anything on it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's no
4: use.